Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Have a great time today. If you have your Bible, though, uh, Matthew 25, I want to read 16 verses, and I want to talk to you guys today about a, about being a double threat, a double threat. Say it with me, double threat. And we're in a series called Fruitful, and I believe this fundamentally, just kind of give you my thesis right out of the gate. I actually believe that God has a desire for all of you to be fruitful in your life. I believe that God's desire is that we have fruitful marriages, that we have fruitful children, we have fruitful businesses, that that what we do with our life actually impacts the next life. C.S. Lewis said that if we lived in such a way to influence the next life, we would get this life thrown in. But if we live only for this life, we miss out on both lives. And I want to be a person that actually leverages all of my time on earth to be fruitful in the way that God formed me and made me. And uh, it's really cool because regardless if you're a stay-at-home parent or Maybe you're a school teacher or CEO or maybe you're here today and you're like, you're just in college. The, the really cool thing is, is that I've learned that God will give us fruit for every season and stage of life. Sometimes we think that, man, fruit is reserved only for certain ages, certain backgrounds, certain abilities, people that have the right type of skill sets. But I've learned this in my little neighborhood. We live in a new neighborhood over here and there's little baby orange trees and even the newest orange trees will start producing some fruit. And they might not have as many oranges on them as the big established orange trees. But I do believe this, regardless of your age, come on, God has fruit that he wants you to bear. And I really do believe that this morning. And so Matthew 25, if you have your Bibles, this is a parable. A parable means it's not a literal story. Uh, parables were when Jesus used language that everyone understood to explain mysteries that everyone wondered about. It's when he would take a heavenly idea and he would use earthly language to describe it. And uh, this really, really well-known parable, if you grew up in the church, you've probably heard someone teach out of this before. So I'll try to hit it from a different angle this morning so you don't fall asleep on me. Um, but it says this in Matthew 25, verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven. What, kingdom what? Kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods. Whose goods? Notice that the goods do not belong to the servants. They are actually entrusted goods of, of the master. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. So five, two, and one. Each according to his own ability. How many have some abilities in here today? Would you raise your hand? Right, we all have uh, 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 unique abilities. And immediately he went, on a, he went on a journey. Then he had received the five talents, went, traded them. Uh, E-trade, come on. Went big from home. And uh, with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, two talents gained two more also. But the one who had received one, uh, he went and dug it in the ground. He hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord uh, of those servants came and settled accounts with all of them. So he who had received five talents came, brought five others, saying, Hey, Lord, you gave me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, well, good and, good and, love this, key words, done and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, here's your reward. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the depression. 
What a reward. Enter into the enter into the joy. Whose joy? Of your Lord. He also received two talents, said, Lord, you gave me two. Here's the other two. I've gained two more. Besides them, his Lord said to him, well, good end. You're seeing the rhythm here. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the of your Lord. Then he would receive the one talent came, said, Lord, I knew you were a I knew you were a hard man, man. You were reaping where you haven't sown, and you were gathering where you've not scattered seed. I was, I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you can, you can have back what's yours. The Lord answered and said, you, it's crazy. It gets pretty strong. I want to buckle up here. This is PG-13. He goes, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. You should have at least taken it to Chase Bank deposit it there, and at my coming, I would receive back at least some interest. So please, take, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be. And he who, he who has will have an abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and Dennis visits. Dennis visits. Be nice to your dentist. They have fillings too. Um, kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's too soon. Too soon. Lord, I just thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing at Ocean's Church. We love you so much. We just thank you that we have an awesome time together. Would you please speak to all of us? We're listening today. Would you please, Lord, uh, just fill this room with your presence, with your knowledge, with your spirit. And I just thank you that you'd build us up today in the way you want us to be built. We love you. We pray you bless the Lakers in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone said amen. Amen. Double, double threat. Say it with me, double threat. Uh, I know this might, might lose some of you. I'll circle back around and get all of you that don't play sports. But when you hear about an athlete that's a double threat or dual threat, it means they can do more than one thing. It means they've mastered more than one discipline. Like a dual threat quarterback is someone that doesn't just throw it really well, but if you actually come behind the line, they can actually run really well too. They're not just single, they're not a one-trick pony, they can actually do more than one thing. A dual-threat basketball player is someone that doesn't just dribble really well, they can shoot really well. They can jump really well. They can, they can do more than one thing really, really well. To be, a, to be a, a, a multiple, a triple threat, a dual threat, it means that you've mastered more than one discipline. Does that make sense? And uh, a, a dual-threat restaurant is a place that actually has good food, and it actually is a good environment. Who's ever been to a hole in the wall? Come on, I like hole in the walls. They're single threats. You got great food, but the ambiance makes me nauseous. A dual threat spouse, come on, is someone that is godly and good looking. Come on. Someone's like, I'll just believe him for 50 cents, 50% of that. God has more. Come on, lift your eyes to the hills. Dual threat. Triple threat is someone that's godly, good looking, and can cook. Come on, somebody. You want to wife that lady or that guy. The Lord knew that I could only handle a double threat. <laughs> Praise the Lord. If she could cook, man, I'd be making the biggest loser look like the biggest winner. Come on, somebody. So I'm the cook in the family, but I, she does everything else. Well. I, uh, I uh, was thinking about double threat, double threat, and I was thinking through, uh, you know, I think many times it's okay, we, we have an idea, even in the Bible, we have a pretty good foundation theologically to believe that God 
God's desire for us is to know him and to be faithful. We know this, this parable we hear over and over, well done, good end, faithful. Say with me, faithful. And I think most of us have an idea that when we come to know, maybe you don't know Jesus personally yet, believe that God's desire is to encounter you even today in the service. But if you are here and you know God on some level, I think that we would agree that God's desire for you is to know him and actually be faithful to living life with him. Faithful like in the sense that when you get married to a husband or to a wife, it's like, man, I want to be faithful. I want to I want you to trust me when you're with me and when you're not with me. I want you to know that I would never do anything to grieve you or hurt you. I would never try to betray your confidence or your trust. I want to be, come on, faithful. To be faithful means, it means uh, accomplishing as much as possible with the resources and the talents that God has given you. That's what it means to be faithful. I want to be, I want to be, man, is I want to accomplish as much as I can with what you've given me, God. I want to be faithful. Mark Batterson said, uh, success is doing the best that you can with what you have where you are. Success is doing the best that you can with what you have where you are. Faithful is leveraging all that God has given you and using it all back to honor and glorify God. I want to be faithful. Anybody else want to be faithful? And I think there's a lot of faithful Christians, but I think if we're not careful or intentional, sometimes we hide theologically behind, well, I'm just trying to be faithful. I don't care if I do anything great. I just want to be faithful. And I want you to know that when you say, I just want to be faithful, I think that you're only getting it 50% right. Because if you study the Bible, there is a theme throughout Scripture that God actually wants more than faithfulness. He wants fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is a, a major theme of the New Testament. 55 times the Bible uses fruit or fruitful in the New Testament alone. It's interesting that God's desire is not only that we would be faithful with what we've been given, but that we would actually leverage that stuff and that we would be fruitful with it. It's crazy that in the very beginning in Genesis, God would put Adam and Eve in a... What was their job? To tend and to keep the fruit. It's crazy that the, the problem with humanity was a, it was, a, it was a misappropriation of stewardship of God's fruit. We know the story, come on, in Genesis, that they started apple. Yeah. Bad joke. And, and, they, and they, they, they misappropriated fruit. It's crazy that throughout, throughout the, from the very beginning, God has been interested in stewarding, stewarding fruit. The devil's really good at getting you to focus on the fruit that doesn't belong to you. Can we agree on this this morning? You ever been discouraged because you're looking at somebody else's fruit? You ever compared your fruit to their fruit? You ever wonder, why, why is my fruit not more like their fruit? How come I can eat that tree and that tree and that tree, but I can't have access to that one? You ever thought less of your life because of looking at someone else's orchards? And I love that throughout this concept and idea in Scripture, that God has always been interested in us, not only, not only bearing fruit, but bearing the fruit that God has called us to bear. God loves fruitfulness. John 15 says, I called you to bear fruit. He says that it's fruitful ministry that glorifies God. He actually says in John 15, 8, that fruit in your life proves that you're his disciples. It's easy to be a disciple in name and not a disciple in nature. True disciples bear fruit. That's why when, everyone's, when anyone starts critiquing a church or critiquing a Christian, always examine their fruit. Because usually the ones that complain the most about the speed of the boat are the ones that are not rowing. 
I have found that those that make the, mo- the largest withdrawals, oftentimes the body of Christ, are the ones making the least deposits. I'm not listening, are you following me, to people that don't have the fruit that they're claiming to possess. He says in John that he says that good trees can't bear bad fruit. Actually, Matthew 7, 16 says that good trees bear good fruit. Grapes don't produce thorn bushes. Thorn bushes don't produce, come on, grapes. There's something about good trees that produce good fruit. One of my favorite things about oceans is it's producing good fruit. I met people in this church like, man, I was, I was a Christian for 30 years, and I've grown more in nine months of going to this church than I did the first 30 years of going to church my whole life. Good fruit. I'm grateful I look around this room, and there's people in this room. I talk about Joel Faust, who was in my small group when he was seven, in seventh grade. Talk about Dan Dunson. Come on, you saw him with the beard. Come on, you know the beard? Fear the beard. Dan Dunson was in my small group since he was in seventh grade. Melanie Faust, Pocahontas. Come on, where's she at? She was singing up here. Was in Rochelle's small group since she was in seventh grade. Stacy, fifth grade. People that have been running with us for like 17, 18 years. Come on, say fruit. And it's interesting that oftentimes the people that try to criticize orchards are the ones that have no fruit. If I can warn us all collectively, we are not going to be the church that throws rocks at other churches. Thanks for clapping, Mom. My mom's here today. She always got my back. Do you know what it doesn't? It's not hard to criticize. It's hard to create. It's way easier to be a critic of food than it is to be a creator of food. It's easy to criticize art. It's hard to design art. And it's easy to criticize the body of Christ. It's hard to create, come on, and build a body of Christ. And I think it's so important that we're not going to be a church that throws rocks at people. I love what Rick Warren said years ago. He said, I will never criticize a church that God is blessing. There is ministries on television that some people critique in their little blogs in their mom's basements, on their social media, and it's like, dude, that ministry's bore more fruit in one day than you'll bear your entire life. Stop throwing rocks. Come on, it's people that are producing fruit. Sorry, get fired up. Settle down, Mark. You guys were egging me on. I've come to believe that God is interested in fruit. It says in Colossians 1.10 that it's fruit that pleases God. What does he say? He says, live a life worthy of the Lord that you, may, that you may fully please him in every way. How? Bearing fruit in every good work. My prayer recently has been, God, I pray that you, I would make you glad that you made me. Look, I know you love me. You know why God loves me? It's the same reason why you love your kids. Do you know why? I mean, we go around the room and say, hey, God, why, why? I don't know if you've ever had this idea before, but you ever thought about, man, why do people love me? What do they say? Why do you love me? Well, I love you because you're kind. Well, what if I wasn't? I'm in a bad mood. I love you because you're a good dad. Well, what if I wasn't a good dad? I love you because you're a hard worker. What if I wasn't? What if I was lazy? What? what come on, you get feisty sometimes? What do you start pushing back and go, well, why do you love me, Rochelle? Why do you love me, Oceans? Why? What if I change? And here's the truth. You can have that conversation with God and say, God, why do you love me? Well, I love you because, you know, what, what if something changes? And I've learned this, that what, the reason why people can love you, the reason why Rochelle loves me the way that she does, and the reason why God loves you the way that he does is because you're his. 
do you know the reason why you love your kids is not because of how awesome your kids are? It's because they're your kids. Are you with me today? And it's so important because Jesus says, look, I, I know that you're my kid. I already love you, but I want to go, God, look, I know you love me because I'm yours, but I want to not only make you, I want to make you glad that you made me. And I read Colossians 1.10, he says, how do, you, how do you do this? You live a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him in every way, by bearing fruit in every good work. I want to bear fruit in every good work. Me in the front row do. That's all right. We'll come for the rest of you in a second. It's interesting that throughout Scripture, Jesus' highest level of punishment was always geared towards those that were not producing fruit. Remember he cursed the fig tree? Harsh, Jesus. It's all me. Poor tree. It's interesting, I studied fig trees last night because I like to party on Saturday nights. And I, I had this, this, this epiphany as I'm, I'm studying this out is that figs were the most valuable of all trees. They were naturally very productive. They bore, three they, they bore three crops a year. Three crops a year. They had fruit on their leaves 10 months out of 12. April and May were the only two months that figs wouldn't have fruit on them. And it would take three years from, the, from planting the origins of the tree to the tree actually producing its first fruit. And that's why there's a parable in Luke that talks about give, give the tree more years, give it more time. And the guy gives it another three years, and God gave adequate time to actually see the tree produce fruit. And God's desire is, is that we be, we be fruitful individuals. And I want you to know that no one expects more of his followers than Jesus. Because no one believes in their followers more than Jesus does. God will call you higher, he'll ask more of you, and he'll bring you to new heights than you could ever take yourself. I've learned in life that most of the time we only rise when someone challenges us to come higher. God is no different. God wants us to bear much fruit. He wants us to bear fruit that would remain. It's crazy that you look throughout Scripture and God's desire is for us not only to be faithful, but to be fruitful. Notice what he says here in this passage. He says, well, not just well thought. well-strategized, well-prayed, well-theorized. He says, well done. I believe this. Reinhard Bonnke just passed away last year, and this is one of the greatest evangelists of our lifetime. He says, God goes with those that go, and he does with those that do. And I believe that God is not only in faithfulness. He is. That's 50% of it. But it's not just what we, what we, we steward. It's, it's the risk that we're willing to take for God. That we're going to be a well-done community. That we're not just good thinkers, we're good doers. Come on, it's easy to say the right things and talk the right way. It's a little bit more challenging to actually do. And I'm not talking about worthy world that we earn salvation. We do not earn salvation. You're not saved by what you do, but you are saved to do something great. Can we agree on that? Let me say it again. You are not a Christian because of what you do. You have access to God because of what Jesus did. But I do believe that the moment he tags you and says, hey, I, you're in. Come on, you're it. Now what are you going to do? How are you going to spend the next 60 years of your life? Are we going to build your castle or are we going to build my kingdom? What do you want to do? What do you, how are you going to live? What are you going to do with your talents? See, talents, we read this in modern day. We're like, talents? Okay, I get that. But talents weren't, weren't just an ability or a skill. This is actually currency. Talent was more than a coin. It was actually a weight. It was a, 
it was more, it was more than a, a sum of money. It was actually a weight. It was um, made often, often it was made out of silver, uh, usually silver, but it could have been made out of copper or gold. But silver talents were actually equivalent to 15 years wages, a normal 15 years wage. So Orange County, that'd be like 20 million. Um, so, so a talent was 15 years. It was a large sum of money. And it was interesting that this is crazy. He comes, the master, by the way, first things we got we to kind of introduce here is that the Bible says, parable here, God says, hey, you know what the kingdom of heaven is like? You know what Christianity is like? It's like God giving abilities and, and resources and IQs and intellects and families and backgrounds and letting people be born in certain nations. And some are going to be born with five talents. Some are going to come into the world with two and some are going to come into the world with one. And it's interesting that all the talents that they have were not theirs to begin with. They were actually using, I heard one theologian say it like this. He goes, life at its best, Christianity is almost like uh, your life is a rental car. You don't own it. You're stewarding it. And at some point, you're going to return that thing. It's not your vehicle. Come on, you get to drive it. Come on, it might be insured, but it's actually not your car. This life, come on, is a gift. And he says, well, come on, well done. Well done, good and faithful. So notice here that there's 50% doing and there's 50% faithfulness. And there's this beautiful marriage between doing and, and being, being a steward of what God has entrusted to us to steward. And again, I'm not trying to go hard on this. Some messages are more revelatory and some messages are more practical. I really felt today like God as a coach saying, guys, I want you to buckle up. It's time to be fruitful. We are in a fruitful season right now. I really feel this. We are in a fruitful season right now. And oftentimes, we're not, if we're not intentional in this, we, we, we miss out on what we're, able, what we're capable of doing because we're focused on the abilities that we have no control over. Here's what I love is that the guy that had five talents was only responsible for five that he had. The guy with two was only responsible for the two that he had. And the guy that was given one had no, look, he had no responsibility for the five and the two, just the one. And it's interesting that many times in life, our, we, our, we, we end up spending most of our time envying other people's abilities more than using our own. And I, I love this passage because it says a few things, and if we could level the, the playing field here, we're not going to only be faithful, we're going to be fruitful, and here's how we're going to be a dual threat Christian, a, a, a double threat uh, double threat fruitful believer, is uh, five things, we'll put them on the screens today. Number one, I love this, how we use what we have is more important than what we have. First thing, you're taking notes say, how do you live a fruitful life? How do you produce much fruit? First thing we do is we don't have to put any value on what abilities you do have. We just have to be faithful with what we do have. How we use what we have matters more than actually what we have. Notice the guy with five got the same response as the guy with two. And I love this. I'm painting a picture for you today. Notice the first two guys, they were willing to risk. I'm going to take what you gave me. I'm going to leverage it. I'm going to borrow against. I'm going to, man, I'm going to go to the stock. I'm going to go to market. I'm going to trade. I'm going to, I'm going to invest. I'm going to, I'm going to work. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to plant. I'm going to, I'm going to use what you gave me and I'm going to risk. I'm willing to pack up a U-Haul, put my two babies, drive 900 miles, start a church that no one thinks is going to work, do something that people say can't be done in a region they say it can't be done in. 
But I've learned this, that oftentimes obedience is spelled R-I-S-K. And we want great fruit, but we don't want to take any risk. And here's what religion always does. Religion does what the third guy did. Religion always tries to keep things the same. I'm going to take what you gave me the exact way you gave it to me. I'm going to put it exactly into the place that it was before. And I'm going to put it in the ground. And I'm going to pull it out exactly the way that it was. And I'm going to give it back to you exactly the way that it came. Religion always is opposed to change and progression. Always. And that's why we can't marry the methods of church. We are married to our, our, our mission and we're married to our message, but we are dating our methods. There's nowhere in the Bible that says to sing three and a half songs. There's nowhere in the Bible that says two fast songs, one slow song. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, all right, you're going to be a 35-minute message or people are going to leave. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say there's, there's things that we do every single week that are just methods. And the, message, the methods are actually fostering the message and the mission God gave us. We don't need bigger buildings for the sake of bigger buildings. We need bigger buildings if we're doing a good job reaching our message, mission, preaching the message. Does that make sense? And so we date, we date our methods. But so many people get married to methods. Some people get offended. You have drums in your church? There's only supposed to be organs. Do you know that organs were a rebellious instrument back in the, in the 1800s? Organs were the drums of the last century. You do church history study, it's funny. People always repeat history because they don't know it. But if you study church history, it was actually like pubs. There was bars that had organs. They would do these songs. And someone rebelliously said, you know what we're going to do? We're bringing that organ into the church. And everyone's like, wow, devil organ. But now there's whole denominations that go, man, it's only the piano and the organ. Welcome to the church. Anything else is demonic. And you're married to methods that were birthed in the 1700s. Let me challenge you. Would you want to be married to medical practices that were born in the 1700s? So why are you good evolving spiritually or medically, but we're not okay with evolving spiritually? We're going to be a church that takes risk. Can I get an Amen. Take risk. Let's take those two. Let's take that five. Let's see what God's going to do with this. I actually believe that the one guy, the one talent wonder, would have actually leveraged his talents, made a bad investment, made a bad deal. I actually believe this. It's easier to stir ships that are moving than those that are stationary. And I think God could actually use failure for his glory if we're willing to try. Which leads me to my next couple points here. Is the reward of good work is more work. It's going to get quiet in here for a second. I know. We're in America. It's like, no, you should, you get a, like a vacation. If you do a good job for God, he'll give you like a sabbatical for like six years. What I learned is, is that it says this, take, hey, well done, good in. You are, you did a good job. What are we going to do? What's he say? You've been faithful with few things. Now it's time to be a ruler of. The reward of great work is more work. You want your greatest soldiers, come on, generals put their greatest troops for the most important missions. And if you're like, man, I feel like I've been faithful with God's given me and I keep on getting more stuff to do. I'll be honest, come on, that, that's, it's, a business, it's a biblical principle. That if you're fruitful, God will give you more opportunities to bear more fruit. That's why when I need something done, I don't find someone that's not busy. 
Where's my CEOs at? Come on. You, you want something done. You find someone that's working hard already. Because the reason why they're busy is because they get things done. The one that has time to do the project are the ones that never get the project done. I better stop. Another time. Is we want to be a community that actually, what do you do when you actually do a job well for God? When you're fruitful, God says, I'm going to give you more fruit. And we give you more opportunities to bear more fruit. So the reward for great work is more work. And everyone said amen. Number three, write this down, is that I've learned this, is that, uh, number three, is that you will miss every single shot you don't take. I'm sorry, it's a Steph Curry one-liner, forgive me. But I want you to get this idea. Notice this, the guy with one talent buries his talent. And here's why you won't take risk for God in life. Here's why you'll play it safe. By the way, let me just go on the record to say this. I believe anxiety, I believe fear people that are scared of their own shadows, they're scared of diseases, they're scared of this, and all the phobias that are plaguing our homes in Orange County. We have some of the most affluent, most educated people in the world, but we have people that are scared of everything. And I believe this is why, is because, note this, the guy with one talent, he does two things wrong, is he sees the master wrong, and whenever you see God in the wrong light, you'll never do what he's asking you to do in life. First mistake. I thought God was greedy. I thought God was angry. I thought God was a jut, like just this angry, mega maniacal, just bigotry, uh, infested God that hated people and was looking for an excuse to, 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 to stab me with a sharpened lightning bolt. That's what I thought about God. Do you realize that how you see God is the most important thing about you? And if you see God as angry and controlling and conniving and manipulative, that's how you're gonna interact with him. And the reason why you have a hard time thinking that God wants you to have a fruitful life because you don't see a God that's good enough to give you fruit. I thought you were angry. I thought you were mean. So I was afraid. I was afraid to do anything with the talents, with the resources, with the intellect, with the the finances, the education, the children. I was afraid to leverage my life for you because I didn't see you accurately. So you know what he did? Because he didn't take a risk for God, because he didn't use what God gave him for God, here's what I've learned. Whenever you don't use what God gave you to be used for him, you'll always go back reverting to living a life of fear and being afraid. I never saw this before until yesterday. Notice what it says here. I was afraid, so I hid your, ta- I hid your talent. Why were you afraid? Because you weren't willing to risk what God gave you for God. You know what God's asking Ocean Search? Let's risk what God gave us for God. Let's risk giving man a little bit too much love away. Let's risk giving a little bit too much, come on, uh, uh, generosity. Let's risk giving a little bit more forgiveness away. Let's, let's risk giving a little bit too much prayers into our community and love for our government. Let's, let's just risk being too godly, too Christ. Let's just, let's go a little bit lavish on the Christ-like area stuff. And I've learned that when you're actually willing to risk for God what he's given you for him, It says this to the two guys that gave and used what God gave him for God. It says, enter into the, enter into the, what was the difference between the two guys, the two groups? The first two used what God gave them for God, and they entered into God's joy. The other guy tried to hoard what God gave him for himself and enter into his fear. He was afraid. And I really felt like God hit me, I hit a vein last night. There's so many people in Orange County that are living by fear. Uh, they're afraid. It's like trying to insure everything and trying to protect everyone and trying to do this. And we're living with this shadow of fear. 
And it's because we're trying to hoard what God gave us for us. And the only people we care about and pray for are those that have our same last names. It's going to get quiet in the Presbyterian church. Just for, I promise I'll stop in a second. I shot somebody. Oh, keep going. I, uh, is we have to leverage what God gave us for the world, for other people. And when you use what God gave you for God, this is crazy, you enter into his joy. Why are you absent of joy? Because you're living to, to, to build your castle. You're not living to leverage all that you have to build his kingdom. I don't know. So I think. So we want to we wanna make, make, make a distinction here that we're not going to live in fear of missing the shot. You miss every shot you don't take. So when God speaks and God breathes and God puts it on your heart to step out in faith, that's why I love guys like Josh. Josh Wolf is just one of those guys, that he's on the streets and someone's sick or someone's going through a hard time. He's like, hey, I'm going to pray for you right now. What's your name? Can I pray for you? This guy's bringing the kingdom of God wherever he goes. He's willing to take a risk. What if you pray for someone and they don't get healed? Like, I'm still going to step out. See, outcomes are not my job. Obedience is my job. I can't control who gets healed, when they get touched. I can't dictate, man, if someone's going to break free from that addiction today or if it's next month. But I can do this. I can obey God in the moment. And when you live a life of obedience, it's amazing to me how when you step out for God, it's crazy how some shots start going in. They interviewed Steph Curry. They're like, why do you shoot? Aren't you worried about your percentage record? He says, no, I believe I can make every shot that I take. You know what faith is? Faith is believing that you can make every shot you take. Do you believe every person you pray for is going to get touched by God? Yeah. What if they don't? Then I'm just going to keep praying. Because why? Listen, I love it. You know what faith is? Faith is this. Faith is like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they had this revelation, when they talked to the king, and they said, king, our God is able to deliver us. Period. But even if he doesn't, still not bowing. And I want to just, if I could, man, I defy the giants of Orange County that say because God doesn't deliver every time you pray for cancer. And because God doesn't deliver every time you pray for someone in addiction. And because God doesn't answer every prayer, he answers no prayers. I want to defy that spirit of Orange County and say, you know what? Listen, our God can, he is able to deliver anything. And I'm going to believe for that. But even if he doesn't, I'm still not bowing to that spirit of doubt. That spirit of let's just believe God for nothing all the time. If your theology requires zero faith, it doesn't honor God. It says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. So why would you adopt a, a, a theology that requires never having to believe God for anything? Well, just the gospel of salvation. Yeah, that's faith to believe in a God that go to heaven that you can't see. That's faith. But what about believing God to do miracles here and now? That's faith. Well, I don't know about that. Keep going. If you guys knew what I held back, you think I'm funnier than I am. There's a lot of good stuff I don't share with you. I got to keep going. Uh, number four, using what you, you have always prepares you for more. I think so many, like, if I can talk to the younger generation, we think you got to get to a certain point in your education. We think we have to get a certain point financially. Sometimes we have these milestones in our head that we think that God can't use us until we get here. 
And if you wait for perfect conditions to do something great for God, you'll never do anything. You actually got to start where you are with what you have and start, you literally start milking the little talents that God's given you. And start going, man, I don't have a lot. I'm not the most gifted. I'm not the most anointed. I'm not the most profound. I'm not the most prophetic. But I will use the little that God has given me. Remember years ago, the great Tommy Barnett, who started a, a, a Phoenix First Church in Arizona, I remember him sharing the story. He goes, you know what? I'm not the most gifted preacher. I wasn't the most gifted pastor. There was far more amazing people than me in Bible college. But I think the reason why God let me do and be a part of what I was a part of was because I kept on leveraging the little that I had. And every year I just leveraged the little that I had for God. And I would just keep studying. I'd keep praying. I'd keep preaching. I'd keep helping. I'd keep serving. I'd keep finding needs and meeting needs. And it was like I just kept using the little muscles that I had. And eventually they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I've learned that you got to use what you use what you have. Because when you use what you have, it will always prepare you for more. To he, what does it say? Take it from the guy that's not using it. And give it to the guy that's been using it the most. What does he say? That crazy little annoying statement that we always wrestle with. To he who has, more will be given. To he who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. It's like, well, the rich do get richer. Come on, hello, Orange County. It's true. Why? Because the educated keep getting more educated. And the guy that has a little bit of basketball ability that goes out and practices every day, he does get better and better. Is this not true in any area of your life? If you have a little bit of talent, if you don't start using it and leveraging it, you'll see it grow and grow and grow and grow. Because why? Because using what you have will always prepare you for more fruitfulness. I think I have like a prophetic gift. Then start using it. Start using it. What do you mean using it? Like, we'll just, you see someone like, man, I feel like the Lord wants me to encourage that guy over there. Well, just, here, just let me give you a little, little grid real quick. If it doesn't encourage somebody... Just, let me just talk about the prophetic just real quick. Pro prophecy should always encourage, edify, or confirm. So if you run it through the grid and go, this is okay, it's about him dying prematurely, you want to keep that one to yourself. You're probably off. But if it edifies, if it encourages, or if it confirms, then just go, hey, hey I'm sorry, I, I want to just throw this at you real quick. Uh, I saw you across the room, and I just feel like God wanted me to encourage you that, man, he's getting ready to do something really special in your life this week. I don't know what it was. I feel like, I don't know if you're like believing for a job or like some sort of like thing financially, but I, I was praying for you that God would do it this week. And you had no idea that that person walked into church saying, God, please do something this week in my job or financially. And that little step of obedience, it built their faith. And guess what it did to your little prophetic faith? Maybe I'm hearing from God. <laughs> no. Start getting fired up. Use the little that you have, and God will give you. And number five, and I'll, I'll land the plane here in the bank and come up here, is I've learned that fruitfulness comes from being faithful in difficult times. Faithfulness, listen, this is very, very important. Fruitfulness comes from being faithful in difficult times. Now, it's going to get quiet in here just for a second because we don't like to talk about difficult times, challenging moments. But let me just take, let me remove the word difficult, and let me just use the word tedious. Can we use tedious? Who's ever felt like life can be a little bit mundane? You ever gone through the motions like, man, what are we doing this week? My daughters ask me every day what we're doing. They're planners. 
they're planning like Christmas 2030 already. Um, they got their list. Um, they're always planning ahead. But I'll be real, like my, my calendar looks pretty similar every week. Like I wake up, come on, take your kids to school, yeah. go to work. Yeah. No? <laughs> Orange County, I forgot. Um, <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. Kidding, I love you. Um, we, uh, we, we, we work, we, we, we read our Bibles, we, you know, we pray, we, we hang out with people, we go to lunches, birthday parties, and weddings, and we, we just kind of go through the, the normal flows of life. Here's what I want to encourage you today. Paul says, do not, do, don't, don't give up. Don't grow weary when you keep doing the right things over and over again. And it doesn't look like you're getting any headway. He says, for you're going to reap. What do you mean reap? That's a fruit terminology, farming terminology. For you will reap if you do not lose heart. I'm convinced that the, the, the Josephs of the world, through 17 years of resistance, all of a sudden has this great moment of fruitfulness that he's ready for what God gave him because he was faithful in difficult times. Being faithful when life gets challenging. Can we agree in here it's easy to worship God when you get a raise? It's easy to worship God when God does something great in your family. It's easy. Are you hearing me? But what about the weeks that it doesn't go your way? You know what bugs me about being a pastor? I'll be really honest. One of my pet peeves is how the world is so quick to give God credit for when things go bad. They died prematurely. See, I told you God's evil. Died prematurely. That's tragic. God told you God wasn't good. So why would you acknowledge God in the evil, but you disregard every day that a new life is born? You disregard every time that God brings a miracle in someone's family. Every time you got that job or that promotion or that answered prayer, why do we only give him credit for the other side? Like, if there's ever been anyone in the creations that's ever been given credit only for the wrong moments of life, it's God. I've apologized so many times for humanity. I'm like, God, forgive us for being so stupid. Forgive us for giving you credits for when things go evil, but never giving you credits for when things go right. I don't know if you read the Bible, but it says every good and every perfect gift comes down from from above. From who? The Father of heavenly lights. Do you know every good thing in your life, from your lungs that work, to your feet that are functioning, to the blood that's flowing through your body right now? Do you realize the oxygen that's filling your lungs right now is a gift from God? So why do you give him no credit for that? But you give him all the credit for when your, flyer, when your tire gets flat. Can I just come on and push back a little bit here? We're going to be a church that actually, we're going to stay faithful even in opposition seasons. Because I don't know if you've ever seen a tree before, but there's never been one tree that started as a seed that didn't have to go through some dirt. Every tree you've ever seen started as a seed that had to break through some dirt. If you believe it, give him a hand clap. Come on, he's going to break through some dirt. He's a God that will break you through the dirt. And I just felt like so strong this morning that maybe you're in an opposition season. You know, it says the more the Egyptians oppressed the Israelites, it says the more they multiplied. I love that verse. It's like the more resistance you have right now, that's the faster you're going to get muscles. The heavier the weight, man, the, the, the faster you're going to bulk. Bulk season. The girls are like, can we not talk about this right now? I believe that God is going to give us strong muscles of faith. 
Amen. Can we be a church that believes that we're going to be, yeah, we'll be faithful, whatever God gives us, but we're going to be fruitful too. Would you stand your feet? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.